Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We are broadcasting right across the world. This week from beautiful Sydney Harbour in Australia, I'm saying beautiful, I'm actually looking out the studio window here and it is teeming rain. Uh, It has been absolutely freezing since I got here. Um, I brought one of my New York style coats with me and I haven't taken it off. It is bloody cold. However, it's a nice change. Um, I'm sitting here thinking about how beautiful and warm it would be at the house in in uh, Los Angeles. And um, Anyway, heading back shortly. Now, the lack of leadership by the US administration in climate change and indeed apparently any action that will improve the environment and equality, is in, it's inspiring positive reactions from both citizens and corporations. They're stepping up where the government is stepping back. Bold leadership as well as individual and collective action from influential companies and investors is ensuring continued progress in achieving the ambitions of the Paris Climate Agreement and the UN Sustainable Development Goals. So despite the backward steps in Washington, there's unprecedented clarity in the business community, especially from Fortune 100s that building a healthy, low-carbon economy is not only irresistible, it's also irreversible. I must admit I'm still amazed that um, the federal government doesn't believe in climate change. I just find that quite extraordinary. And I find it even more amazing that um, the United States has now left out sort of like the G19 with the United States somewhere out there. Their, um, their reputation, which saddens me greatly, has, is being pummeled. In Australia, you notice it, the negative um, comments about the government, America's position in the world, its leadership has really taken a hit and uh, you hardly hear anything positive anywhere about um, the United States. Now, there are seven key corporate trends that are going to be critically important in advancing these goals, irrespective of the out-of-step geriatrics in Washington. The first one of these is corporate support for clean energy. Renewable energy prices are increasingly cost competitive in many parts of the world, very much so in this country, in Australia, and they remove the long-term risks associated with fossil fuel energy price volatility. More than 900 companies and investors in the US are calling on the US administration to support low-carbon policies, and nearly 100 global companies have signed on to the RE100 initiative, a commitment to source all of their energy from renewables. Lacking national leadership in Washington, states and cities are going to lead the way on meaningful clean air and clean energy progress. 
we've already seen this um, across the country and in Michigan, Ohio and Virginia, among other states, companies are helping to shape policies that strengthen and increase access to renewable energy, leading to more clean energy investment and jobs in those states. Secondly, investors expect companies to disclose climate-related risks and opportunities. You know, the Task Force on Climate-Related Disclosures recently published a specific guidance on how companies should evaluate and disclose climate risks in financial filings. Investors and global stock exchanges are taking notice, especially with regard to how carbon-intensive companies are analysing business impacts under scenarios where carbon pollution is reduced to levels that would limit global warming to two degrees Celsius or less, which is, after all, the overall goal of the Paris Climate Agreement. Thirdly, companies are advancing human rights reporting and performance, and this is really important when you look at the global situation. Companies are facing unprecedented scrutiny on their human rights performance and reporting. The amount of feedback from right across the world on social media and from investigative journalism is amazing. And the non-profit group SHIFT developed the UNGP reporting framework, which companies such as Ericsson and Nestle and Unilever are already utilising to strengthen human rights reporting and performance. Number four, water risks are rising on the investor agenda. Water crises such as prolonged droughts and extreme extreme precipitation events were again among the top five global impact risks in an annual report from the World Economic Forum. Increasingly, companies operating in water-stressed regions, such as, for example, California, are proactively taking action to conserve and protect water sources. Competence on sustainability is number five. It's becoming a measure of board effectiveness. And uh, corporate boards have a key responsibility to address long-term sustainability risks like climate change. And in the coming months, investors and other stakeholders will be looking to engage with key governance experts within companies on this topic, including corporate secretaries and management, as well as general counsel, really. Number six, competence on sustainability is becoming a measure of board effectiveness, as I mentioned. SDGs will become a bigger driver of strategy and action. In 2015, more than 190 world leaders committed to 17 sustainable development goals aimed at ending extreme poverty, eliminating long-standing inequalities and fighting climate change. Worldwide momentum behind these internationally supported goals is continuing to gain strength. Number seven, sustainability sourcing is becoming the new norm. Access to reliable, affordable supplies of key inputs is threatened by climate change, water scarcity, and the use of unethical practices like deforestation and forced labour. Companies themselves are pushing for strategies to assess and manage these risks. So no doubt, 
company actions on all of these fronts will continue to evolve and hopefully, and I believe they will, continue to accelerate. As you may know, I live in the Hollywood Hills and it's the most exciting part of the world. And have you ever thought about how exciting it would be if you were part of the Hollywood scene? I'm the chairman of Countdown Motion Pictures and we've got a wonderful movie in the works, a real Cold War action thriller called Khrushchev's Revenge. We've got an exceptional cast and crew in place. However, as you're probably aware if you read the trades or in fact just read the papers, great movies are expensive to make and we're looking for some additional funding. We have 20 million taken, we need 30, so we're looking for a lazy 10 million. And if you've got the funds to invest in Hollywood and you'd like to be part of the team, you get credits in the movie, attend the launch, walk the red carpet, go to the parties, attend the Academy Awards, etc., etc. If you'd like to know more about how you do that, email me at bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Do you get my daily newsletter? It takes 30 seconds to read. And uh, we've now got about 1.7 million daily subscribers. The phone just rang and threw me. Uh, so I invite you to go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and roll for my daily newsletter. It, it takes just 30 seconds to read, sometimes a little, little bit longer. Today's a skerrick longer. And it'll keep you up to date with all the business news that's important. Every day we tackle a different subject from advances in medicine to new apps to new technology to subjects like the Hyperloop, autonomous cars, blockchain, Ethereum, Bitcoin, etc., etc. And these are all subjects that you should know about if you're going to survive in this new global revolution. It's free. This is free. And I've got to say, it takes me a day and a half a week to write them. So there's five a week. It takes me a day and a half a week, a week to write them. It only takes you two and a half minutes to read them. Something wrong with that picture, isn't it? Um, so you should you should subscribe when you go out to dinner with the boss. He will be absolutely staggered at how much you know about what's going on around the world. How many of you think, I know I should be using digital media. I know I should be doing digital marketing. But where the hell do I start? I don't have the fucking faintest clue. And with the explosion in digital media and its cost effectiveness, I mean, it's amazingly cost effective. Many businesses, large and small, are wondering how they get into it. Now, Manta has some excellent suggestions. Internet advertising spend reaching a record $60 billion in 2016, according to the Interactive Advertising Bureau's annual report. That is huge, and that really reinforces the fact that it works, and it works gangbusters, and it is relatively inexpensive. That's a lot of hard-earned money going towards online marketing. Reaching your customers can be costly, but luckily for small business owners, there are a lot of affordable options within your reach. So how can you get the most bang for your buck when it comes to digital marketing? For starters, 
there are five basic techniques that you can master that will allow you to effectively manage your online strategy for little to no overhead. Firstly, you need to conduct a digital audit. Now, audit's a pretty scary word for small business owners. Every time you hear the word audit, you think, oh, shweps. But don't be intimidated. The first step to harnessing your online marketing power is to account for the websites, social media profiles, business listings, and whatever other digital platforms you're using to reach your customers. This also includes even mass emails or your company blogs. Hootsuite offers a social media audit audit template. That's Hootsuite, H-O-O-T-S-U-I-T-E, which I'm sure you're all familiar with. And it's a great place to begin your online planning for your ad strategy. Secondly, you need to observe your social media interactions. You know your business and your customers best. No one knows them better than you do. Pay attention to who is interacting with your customer, with your company through your online platforms and how they're interacting. Pay attention to the way in which followers on you know, Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and Instagram are engaging with you. Do they like to come to your page for special offers? Do they enjoy reading links that you post? Do they post complaints or inquiries? Access whether you should use your social media as customer service tool, a promotional tool, or both. Number four, measure the results. Are you having the impact you want to through your website and social media platforms? A lot of people aren't. Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter offer free easy-to-use analytical tools that allow you to measure the success of your efforts on social media. So use them. Use the analytics tools that accompany your website or set up a Google Analytics account to measure how visits to your website convert into real-world business. And if they don't, why do it? Number five, manage free listings. Here's a tip so obvious it's easy to miss. Stretch your ad budget by taking advantage of online freebies. Take the time to claim and update the free business profiles that are already online on sites like Google and Bing and Yahoo and MapQuest, etc. If this is too time-consuming for you, consider a low-cost service such as Manta Premium, which will update all of these directories for you. Finally, update wisely, allocate and update wisely. Have you maximized the no-cost marketing available through your DIY social media, your listings and website content, but you're still not seeing results in your sales? It's time to consider purchasing digital ad space. Now, according to CNBC, social me- media ad spending grew 65% last year alone. And this is where small businesses like yours are putting their ad dollars and are reaping returns. Review the options for paid promotions on the social platforms that your business uses. Online search advertising remains the most popular digital marketing format, while mobile advertising revenue is outpacing digital display ad sales. So consider these trends when you're shopping for the best online paid advertising for your business. So get into it. Now, I'm going to repeat this on my 
newsletter. So go online to bobpritchard.com, enrol for the newsletter, and you will have all this in black and white to refer to. Now, today's guest is David Giannetto. He's the author of three books, including the newly released Big Social Mobile, How Digital Initiatives Can Reshape the Enterprise and Drive Business Results. He's been named a thought leader by the American Management Association, Business Finance Magazine and Consumer Goods Technology Magazine. He also writes for the AMA and Huffington Post and and as SVP of Salient Management Company, helps some of today's leading brands. I'll be back from the shores of Sydney Harbour in Australia and speak with David after this short break on the Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. And welcome to the segment of the show where we interview successful entrepreneurs, people that are on the cutting edge, people that think outside the box for uh, want of a better expression. And people that have got something to share with all of us, but particularly other entrepreneurs, that can help us all become more successful. You know, it's bloody hard to be successful. You know, it's a tough road. And uh, if you're an entrepreneur and you're trying to break a new product or trying to break a new service, then it's really difficult. And uh, so what I try to do in these interviews is to find out what makes successful people tick so that we can all learn from the mistakes that they've made and we can also learn from the successes that they've had. Every one of us can learn from the experiences of successful people and that's why I urge all of you, no matter what business you're in, get yourself some mentors. You know, if you're a business person and you don't surround yourself with good mentors, then you're really asking for trouble. Now, David Giannetto is the author of three books, including the newly released Big Social Mobile, How Digital Initiatives Can Reshape the Enterprise and Drive Business Results. He's been named a thought leader by the American Management Association, Business Finance Magazine, and Consumer Goods Technology Magazine. 
He also writes for the AMA and the Huffington Post and as Senior VP of Salient Management Company, helps some of today's leading brands coordinate complex initiatives, technology and information in order to create tangible results. Now, big data is interesting. We, we hear about it all the time and um, I must confess I'm involved with a company that's um, launching throughout um, uh, South America and, and through Asia that is capturing a huge amount of big data, submitting it through all sorts of algorithms and uh, the things you can do with it, particularly taking into account things like Apple Pay and whatever and um, iBeacons. You know, it's amazing. You can you can identify who's buying what, where, what they've bought and, and predict what they're going to buy. It's, it's really quite extraordinary. And cities are using big data to plot where bus routes should go, where cab ranks should be situated, and a whole range of various things. So um, this is a very timely interview. David, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for having me. It's great to be with you. Big data, and, um, well, they all go together, don't they? The big data, the analytics, um, and um, things like Apple Pay and... um, um, eye beacons and things they, they they all link together to be able to provide corporations with information and targeting like they've never ever been able to do before yeah absolutely it's important to understand the way things work today at, at the foundation it's it's really a foundation built on data yeah. and, and data comes from many sources right uh, we have the internet of things whether it's a smart light bulb or a smart car we have social media we have mobile technology and all those things are generating data that tells us about different things yeah but but at, at the core of them the commonality is once we turn that into information we make it valuable by converting it to information it tells us about the way consumers behave who they interact with what they believe in even what their emotional state is sometimes sure and that's that's the data that's getting all the buzz these days big data uh, but we have to remember that big data tells us about consumer behavior What's missing is how consumer data, how consumer behavior is influencing corporate performance, whether right. we're an entrepreneur or a small business or, or a large corporation. That's really the question. Or can we use big data to improve the profit equation for our company? And that's where the market is finally getting to. They're finally asking this question of how do we create tangible results, improved revenue and profit, reduced expense, uh, or in- improvement in those things that directly v- drive that, whether it's uh, better conversion rates or high market basket or something right. like that. So, now I can I can see a lot of people out there that um, are listening to this show saying, "Yeah, but I'm only a fairly small enterprise, and big data sounds like you know you need to be somebody giant to be able to use it." Mm-hmm. How, is, how true is that? Well, it's it's partially true. It depends on your perspective. There's really two things that big data allows an organization to do. One is that allows you to improve your directional accuracy, creating better products that are going to resonate better with consumers, adding new features or services on that are going to resonate or improve the the amount of money somebody's willing to pay for them. Uh, So it's really directional or strategic in nature. It points you in the right direction much more accurately. But it also tells you about individual consumer behavior so that you can identify one person, you can understand them, you can create a very highly personalized message that appeals to them, and therefore 
more likely be more likely to convert them to a customer or a repeat customer or a higher value customer or increase customer lifetime value. So there are two equations when we talk about uh, big data. For a very small organization, you just have to use it a little bit differently. For example, the, the philosophy of finding individual customers via big data uh, is really changed from traditional approaches. So we find our one perfect customer using right. the data, yep. and then we go get other customers like them. And that's much more efficient and effective than is the traditional approach of identifying a segment and throwing, uh, you know, just throwing mass advertising at it in hopes that you gain some traction. So a small business can do that too. They can use even the free analytics packages that come with all the social platforms today yep. to understand their customer base, what their behaviors are, and then use that insight to uncover new sub-segments they can go after or change their pitch a little bit or their offerings to be more on point to re- resonates with that person. Okay, so I'm a small, I'm a small business and uh, I've got 20 to 100 staff, say, for example. So I'm that, that size business. Um, and I'm sitting there going, yeah, I keep hearing about big data all the time, everywhere I turn. But where do I start? What the hell do I do first? I'm sitting at my desk. I know nothing about where to go. What do I do? How do I get into this area? Right. That's that's kind of one of those flawed thinking patterns that people get into that um, that I really uncovered through the research and the work with the different companies that I do in writing Big Social Mobile is that you can't start with this question of big data. You really That's really putting the car before the horse. Right. Big data is generated based upon either social media or mobile technology. It, it might also be generated off of smart light bulbs, smart door handles, all these other things that are the internet of things. But really, most times, big data means generated by social or mobile technology. That's really where you have to start because data, remember, data is the result of other things that happened. It is merely an output of some other interaction. And the data that you get will be valuable based on the the value of that interaction. So one of the examples I use that, that somewhat brings it home is we think of social media, which generates big data, as kind of the space of a social media analyst. You know, stereotypically, they just came out of college. They're very young. They don't know much about business. We think that they handle social media. But Mm -hmm. but let's let's break that paradigm. Let's talk about the most stereotypically non-social person in the company, buried in the basement, an engineer doing R&D. How could they benefit from social media? Or an accountant. (laughs) Or an accountant. So how could they benefit from social media and big data? They can if you don't approach it in the traditional way. So imagine using that social media analyst as a conduit. They connect the consumer directly to this expert deep down in the bowels of the organization. And this conduit says, what information would you like to have from our customers about what, what new features and functions they might value, what new services and products they might value. And that engineer would go, my God, if I really could get that information, it would be so powerful. I'd really know what I was, I'd really have some, some information to base my, my change to design changes on. And that's very hard to get through traditional methods, right? You gotta do study groups, you gotta do surveys, Absolutely. all this stuff that's highly unreliable. Yep. But social media can connect this expert directly to your most passionate and most educated consumers. And, and we don't think of that as an application of big data, right? All that we're going to do is we're going to create an appropriate question on any social platform 
and people are going to respond to it. Yeah. But they're going to respond in narrative form, right? We can't analyze narrative form. We can, we can get sentiment, engagement, things like that, but nothing deep. So we're then going to turn around, we're going to take all this narrative string, that this printout of what people responded on Facebook or Twitter, whatever it was, and we're going to show it to this R&D person. He's going to read, do something ancient, read it. Right. And by reading the comments, he's going to gather more information, honest insight, than he ever could have gotten by analyzing, you know, reams of survey responses. And what that will allow him to do is formulate better questions that can then be pushed out to the community, more specific, getting better responses. And we don't think of that as big data in action. Sure. But it really is in a, in a very tangible way for a small business. We're simply using the platforms and the data they generate in, a, in an entirely different way, connecting experts to consumers who have information that that company needs and would find very valuable. Of course, if you're a, um, a big company, like mm -hmm. the company I'm involved with, um, every, everybody puts all their information out there on Facebook, on Twitter, on um, Pinterest, on everywhere. They put who they are, where they are, what they like, how many kids in the family, where their kids go to school, what their names are, where they, where they go for holidays, what their favourite restaurants are. Here's mm -hmm. a photo of me with my pets. And what we're doing is scooping up all of that information and then running it through um, algorithms and however mm -hmm. they do it. And we can come up with a packet for almost everybody. We can say... Um, David Giannetto is 37 years old and he's got two kids and they both go to high school and their name's Mary and John and they, he likes Thai food and this is where he lives and this is where he goes on holidays and we know absolutely everything about you just simply by scooping up what you're putting out there. Um, that's strictly for the big guys, isn't it? Well, it is, and, and where I really fit into things for, for big companies is then helping them use that information to create, you know, what I'm calling the tangible results, right. bottom line results, improved revenue, improved profitability, because the question isn't, what can we gather today? We can gather everything. We can even derive somebody's uh, hierarchy of values, their yep. emotional state. Yep. We can target them based on their, their psychology. We can associate the brands with things that they are emotionally connected to, to earn goodwill. There are a tremendous number of techniques that we can use based on the data we collect. Right. But the trick is to make sure that you're using it in a way that fits in with what is the core value proposition of your organization. Make sure it's reinforcing what is valuable about you and what makes customers like you and continue to, to be loyal to you and to continue to purchase, as opposed to fragmenting your organization into different parts because you have you have one personality going out via social media, you have other broken interactions through mobile, you have your traditional salespeople, you have branding and marketing. Sure. I believe they should all be brought together and, and at the center of them all is how do you generate use data transitioned into information to, to be effective. I couldn't agree with you more. So what are the biggest obstacles that are facing traditional um, enterprises that are looking to make big data an ingrained part of their business strategy? What are those obstacles? Yeah, it's, it's really at the highest level all about perspective and a lack of understanding. I really am not a big fan of the word big data or the term big data because I, I think it's really confused people. If, uh, if they get under the covers and they understand what big data really is, what it tells them about consumers, and, and, and in the book I break it down into the five different things it will tell you about consumers from their demographics, their behavior, their social patterning, and things like that. So I, I kind of try to make it real to say, 
if you're talking about collecting data from Facebook via social media, right. this is what it will show you. And um, I had a great partner for the book, book called Janrain, which is a company that created Social Login. And they have right. a great website, which I show in the book, because it makes it so clear. This is what you get from Facebook. This is what you get from Twitter. This is what you get from Instagram. And it makes it real enough for people so that an expert in big data or social media, mobile technology, because I'm connecting them all together. Um, right. Because they're really part of one bigger movement that companies have to be aware of and adapt to holistically and as opposed to in a very segregated manner to be effectively. That's so. That's difficult, isn't it? Because what's, what seems to happen automatically with companies, no matter how hard you try, companies seem to develop silos. Um, I think it's just, you know, it's human nature and you can tell them as often as you like, but everybody builds their own little bit of turf and tries to protect it. Um, so it's not that easy, is it, to sort of integrate all this across, um, across various parts of a, of a, of a corporation? No, and, and I'm really a management consultant. That's where I, that's the background I come from. I specialize right. in business intelligence and analytics, but really um, uh, I'm working much more at the change level. How do you get the organization to behave differently in the future than in the past using information as a foundation? And, and that's a very common phenomenon. As they grow, they have to deal with more complexity, so they hire experts. Yeah. And because they're experts, they allow them to operate in a silo, and typically that expert is disconnected from, from the core business people, right? The sales and operations people that interact yeah, with customers. absolutely. Social media 10 years ago, and then mobile, and now big data, are different, fundamentally different, causing such problems because people within, especially the social media space, are closer to your customers than any other person in the organization now. Yes. They, they okay. interact with you far more than your salespeople. So you've created this expert. You've allowed them to operate alone, and it's really having a big impact on, on your presence in the market. And you can't allow that to happen. That's why you have to integrate it back in, uh, connect that expert with the traditional business function and people who are really good at converting consumers to customers, and that will reinforce what you're doing. And, and that's, that's the approach I try to help organizations take. Now, let me ask you a question that's just a little bit off the track. Um, I'm one of those people who believes that um, legacy industries, legacy businesses, can't, because of their sheer structure um, and attitude, can't become sort of the e-commerce companies that they need to be to be successful today. Irrespective of what you do, you need to be an e-commerce company. Um, and, and, and I just don't believe that legacy companies can do it you know you see a lot of legacy companies tacking a website on and they might have an app and they think that makes them a um, an e-commerce company it doesn't it makes them an old tired legacy company with some <laughs> stuff tacked on do you agree with that philosophy I don't, know that, I, I don't know that i can agree with it in broad sweeping strokes like that uh it would be, you know, it is a topic in and of itself. We could talk all sure. day. It would be a great discussion over drinks. Uh, but I believe, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't think companies have a choice but to use social media and mobile technology and big data today in order to compete. If, if, you, if, if you take the time and you read the future I've painted of what is coming at us and how critical these things are to the success of an organization, I think we would all agree you have to use these things effectively to compete. But therein is Absolutely. the rub. I really don't believe that you can be successful trying to reinvent yourself 
as highly social, highly mobile, big data friendly. That's, that's not what we're seeing as the most effective way to do this. A successful companies using these initiatives, legacy or non-legacy, are companies that look at their business model and they say, we have this weakness. How can social or mobile or big data help us overcome this weakness in our business model? And then mobile and social, they simply become additional channels. Big data becomes another source of information, connect it and integrate it with traditional enterprise data to tell a bigger pic picture of what's going on. You have to use them in a way to reinforce your organization and its value proposition, not fragment it and segment it. So why is it why is it that the Amazons, the Ubers, the Airbnbs, the Netflix, the there's a whole lot of them that have come in and disrupted traditional um, legacy companies and murdered them. You know, there's not one there's not one traditional legacy company in any field that's been disrupted that has been been successful not one it's the new totally data driven social media driven companies that have just wiped the floor with everybody else I, I, I don't know if I would say none of them have so what's uh, Amazon is a company that I talk about a lot in the book and I've done a lot of work and research on and I think people have the wrong impression of Amazon. They believe it is an e-commerce company. I am here to tell you, Amazon is very much a physical company that exists in the real world. It has warehouses in nearly every state in the Absolutely. country. It has bigger operations than almost any other com company in the country. They are just as physical as almost every other company that we think of perhaps as legacy. We, They created e-commerce, but let's take a step back and, and look at what they did. What they did really wasn't revolutionary. It really wasn't in the beginning. They identified a problem that had long existed in the book publishing and selling industry. And there's too many books. The catalog is too big from different publishers to sell them all in one physical location. Yep. They used new technology, a brand new approach using new technology to overcome that, that problem that had existed for decades. And they, but they did it in exactly the same way as the physical bookstore buying process. Yeah. For example, buying a book is a is an, an interactive process, even though people don't think of it as that. It's a very social experience. That's why you have reviews, because they found that a person isolated on a website didn't have the same richness of experience unless they had other people to to understand whether this this particular book was good or not. And it wasn't even in their hand. Yeah. So what they, they did is evolve, and that's what I talked about. Evolve your business to its next better form. Don't try to revolutionize yourself. I would argue that they're a, they're a totally disruptive e-commerce business that just happens to have warehouses. I don't think having, a, having warehouses makes you traditional in any way, shape, or form. However, um, how does mobile fit into this picture? Um, how's mobile technology changing the game for sort of traditional enterprises? It, I, I think initially what it did is exactly what you said. They threw an app, they threw an app out there, a mobile app. They, they thought they could gain some interest, and most companies fell flat on their face. Uh, and that's been the mistake. They didn't, they didn't take a step back and say, what is mobile, and how do we use it to our best advantage? So take what I think of as, as a legacy company, Starbucks. Starbucks has used mobile in a very non-traditional way. Now, they created 
the most effective mobile wallet application in the world. Nobody yep. can even touch them. Yep. They are in a class alone. So we think of them as having a very powerful mobile application. But I look at them as, as a legacy company who used mobile in a way that people don't even recognize. What Starbucks did is they looked at what is the problem with our operation. And the problem with Starbucks is they have such high volume through their stores that the purchasing process itself, getting people through the line and getting them their drink, which is complex because there's over eighty, there's over 87,000 drink combinations when you go yep. to Starbucks. It's yep. more complicated than we think. Then it's lousy but, coffee anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, like it, like it or not, who knows? They certainly have the market. They certainly sell a lot of it, through. yep. Right. So what they did is create a mobile app to make that operation more efficient because the longest amount of time you spend in line is the actual transaction itself, the, the financial transaction. A yep. mobile app for well over 20% of people, and it's growing, the number of users, it reduces the most time-consuming part of the transaction to under 10 seconds. Right. right. So they used mobile to make the, the most complicated and time-consuming part of their physical process more efficient. As a byproduct, they also happen to have built the most widely used mobile wallet app in the world. Right. But it started with an understanding of what is their business model and the things that drive it and don't drive it. And, and of course, they've done amazing things with it from there. It also builds an amazing database that's mm -hmm. critical to right. marketing anything these days. So right. is it, it, it does. Is, is it mobile or social that's driving personalization? Uh, you know, the, the interesting thing about mobile is kind of a follow-on to what we are just talking about uh, that bridges into that question is um, the, the, the amazing thing about mobile is that when social came upon, when social came to light maybe 10, 11 years ago, it took consumers out of the physical world and put them very much in the digital world. Yeah. And, they, and they interacted with companies across this digital landscape. So companies had to build infrastructure and process to interact with them over there. And that really separated consumers. In the, in the physical world, they could interact via traditional methods, but what they were doing digitally was like a completely different person, even if it was the same actual person. So now we had consumers in the physical world and in the digital world, they were interacting with companies, and, but they weren't consistent. Omnichannel arose to kind of beat that back down, but it's, it's been fairly ineffective. I talk about it in the sense of an omni experience because the physical and digital have to be merged so that you see what the consumer is doing um, no matter what medium you're interacting with them through. Sure. Mobile is helping because what mobile did is it put the people back in the physical world because social media is, is almost always delivered via mobile devices now. Status yes. updates, picture uploads are occurring much more mobile than they are in native desktops or laptops, things like that. Yep. So now the mobile device is with the consumer in the real world. So now we know where they are all the time. And from a data perspective, that's awesome because we can now see where they're at, what's influencing them, what's around them. We can target them in the physical world. And mobile is great for companies because it, it is ever present with the consumer. It, it is a data collection device like no other. Yes. And it allows you to interact with them at the moment of impact because it's really about touching the right person with the right information, that's personalization, but at the right time. Sure, absolutely. So, uh, um, what sort of technology should marketers be looking at to help them make, um, to get all this customer data 
and make it operational and actionable. I mean, how can, it's all right to have it, but how do you then use it? Yeah, there's two pieces of this puzzle. Um, you know, big data, as, as we've been talking about, uh, it, it tells you a lot about the consumer. But, but don't ever forget that the weakness of big data is that it does not tell you the financial impact of the consumer's behavior, whether it's purchasing, non-purchasing, or anything. It okay. doesn't tell you real value. The measure of real value occurs in traditional enterprise information. And I can't believe I have to say traditional information within the enterprise, and it's only 2015. I'm talking <laughs> about stuff that comes out of uh, your, your route accounting system, your GL, your ERP, your CRM. Yep. That t- tells you value because you can, you can calculate the profit equation. Right. So that therein lies the answer to what what technology is needed. You need technology on both sides of that house. So, for example, the company I mentioned, Janrin, what they do is allow you to collect and understand individual consumers on a highly detailed level, the, the ways we were talking about. Yes. That information is more valuable when you then turn around and connect it to an enterprise technology that allows you to understand the profit equation, for example, as you mentioned during the introduction, I work at Salient Management Company. We are on the business intelligence and analytics side of the house. Right. So we are connecting that consumer profile data over to the customer profile data so that it's synonymous. We understand which consumers are becoming prospects, which are becoming customers, and the end result and the value of that customer. So now we're seeing something much more powerful. We're seeing not only which, what is the profile of a person via big data that is most likely to become a customer, we're able to measure what's the highest value customer we're producing. That is really the customer that, that I want to go to. And that's critical about. information, yep. Yeah, we've kind of forgotten that because the hype about big data is getting us all over into the marketing world, personalization, and I'm kind of raising my hand over here saying, look, yeah, it is awesome, I love it, and I, and I love that type of work, and, and that's where you need to be focusing. But don't forget, that is nothing if you don't understand the impact on, on the profit equation. So every, every company that's um, going into big data or related areas should have themselves a salient management to help them. Uh-huh. Um, no, I'm being serious for a minute. You know, they mm-hmm. should to help them integrate the information that they get from big data with the... Um, pragmatic financial um, performance. Yeah, well, financial performance is one thing. You know, at Salient, we provide management information, right, which is the translation of operational effectiveness and efficiency into financial uh, results, some of which do correspond with the the formal financial structure of of the way you report information formally. But we're really talking about how do companies, how do decision makers within the company use information to make more profitable decisions, right? That's, that's the buzz phrase of right. what we do. Understanding consumer behavior before, during, and after the point of purchase just allows you to have better insight into, well, who really is my most valuable consumer? Because there's a lot of expense over on the social, mobile, and big data side of the house. And, yeah. and in fact, it's only expense. Right? It's not generating revenue unless no, you attach true. it back to your traditional sales and operations yep. processes. So okay. you do need so, that yep. to operate. Okay. So everybody, everybody needs themselves a salient. Okay. Fair enough. So quick last question. What's really at stake if, if companies don't figure out how to become um, big social mobile? 
Yeah, it, you know, everyone, a lot of the folks I talk to, they want to take that way back and see, look, and, and this is what I try to, to say to make it a little bit more urgent to them. You know, we're talking about companies here creating a very intimate relationship with a consumer or a prospect, and, and that's going to drive their decision-making over the long term. Yep. This is what the person's going to base their wallet purchases on. So in your industry that you're in, the first company that does that has such a first mover advantage that you might never be able to recover. And that doesn't need to be the biggest, most powerful company, the one with the biggest economies of scale. It's just the smartest company that understands how to leverage this new relationship, you know, built via social and mobile that comes out through big data with consumers and then takes advantage of it to give those consumers what they want. They're going to win. You're not going to be able to compete with them from that moment forward. Okay, so great. you really can't afford to wait. David Giannetto is the author of a newly released book, Big Social Mobile, How Digital Initiatives Can Reshape the Enterprise and Drive Business Results. It's a great book. I'm looking forward to getting a copy because it's critical to every business that's, um, that's out there today that wants to be successful. So, David, thanks very much for being on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and Voice America Business. Now, if you'd like to know more about David, go to bigsocialmobile.com. That's bigsocialmobile.com. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Network, and I'll be back with you after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show on Voice America Business Channel. And we are the number one business radio show for entrepreneurs in the world. And this week we're broadcasting on the shores of beautiful Sydney Harbour where it's been absolutely freezing since I've been here and today it is teeming with rain. So I've been... um, Waking up every morning thinking about my place in Los Angeles and how warm it is. Now, big data is generated by the millions of touch points that companies have with their customers across all their platforms and devices. But have you heard of thick data? And this is deprived from observing human behavior and its underlying motivations. Thick data is being utilized by companies interested in the social sciences while big data has been used by people with an analytics bent and there's been very little dialogue between the two and this isn't very sensible when you think about it. Big data relies on machine learning, reveals insights with a particular range of data points that identifies patterns by isolating variables and loses resolution. On the other hand, thick data relies on human learning reveals the social context of connections, accepts irreducible complexity, and loses scales. So 
companies that rely too much on numbers, graphs, and factoids of big data, well, they risk insulating themselves from the rich qualitative reality of their customers' everyday lives. It's a big gap. So by outsourcing thinking to big data, our ability to make sense of the world by careful observation begins to wither. Just as you miss the feel and texture of a new city by navigating it only with a GPS, you need to get out and get amongst the people and get amongst the back lanes and find out what it's really about. So thick data is um, best known, best method for mapping unknown territory. When organisations want to know what they do not know already, they need thick data because the act of collecting and analysing stories produces, produces insights for them. Stories can inspire organisations to figure out different ways to get to the dis- destination. And thick data often reveals the unexpected. It's going to frustrate you. It'll probably surprise you. But no matter what, thick data is going to inspire you. And innovation needs to be in the company of imagination. Many companies are shifting their perspective from data-centric to human-centric. And thick data fills the gaps between what organisations have and what they need to be more instinctive and to understand how people feel and the emotions that underpin the customer experience. So now's the time for marketers to be more people-focused, more emotional and empathetic in their approach. And engaging with thick data enables organisations to develop real, positive relationships with the people they're targeting and to stop thinking about them just simply as numbers. It brings in the context of their complex lives which plays a significant role in what they do and why they do it. So melding big and thick data together, which is the sensible thing to do, obviously, requires changing practices, requires hiring new people and allocating funds away from familiar ways of doing things. But once you've seen the power of real data, You'll question the millions of dollars wasted on surveys and focus groups. Well, I've always thought that focus groups are a waste of energy and time and money, but big data is a powerful and helpful tool that companies should invest in. However, they should also invest in gathering and analysing thick data to uncover the deeper, more human meaning of big data. Together, thick data and big data gives you an incredible insight and advantage. So when organisations want to build stronger ties with stakeholders, they need stories. Stories contain emotions, something that no scrubbed and normalised data set can ever, ever deliver. Numbers alone do not respond to the emotions of everyday life. You know, things like trust and vulnerability and fear and greed and lust and security and love and intimacy and all of those things. It's hard to algorithmically, (laughs) geez, that's a hard word, algorithmically, represent the strength of an individual's service and product affiliation and how the meaning of the affiliation changes over time. Thick data approaches real deep 
into people's hearts. Ultimately, a relation between a stakeholder and an organization's brand is emotional and not rational. So big data and thick data complement each other. And this is a great opportunity for qualitative researchers to position the context of big data's quantitative results. Now, do you get my 30-second daily read newsletter? It's great. It covers every element of business from um, advances in medicine to new apps to new technology, subjects like the Hyperloop, autonomous cars and blockchain and Bitcoin. You sit there and go, what the hell is Ethereum? I keep hearing about it. I don't know what the fuck it is. Well, if you got my daily newsletter, you'd know all about it. And these are subjects that you should know about if you're going to survive in this new global revolution. It's free. Its information is invaluable. And all you do is you go on to bobpritchard.com and presto, enroll. And then every day you get a new 30-second read newsletter. It's as easy as that. When you go out, just think, you go out to dinner with a boss and he thinks he's a smarty pants know-all. And he brings up blockchain. So off you go about all the things about blockchain. So he talks about autonomous cars. So you tell him all about the future, the hyperloop. Mate, you're an expert on it. You're going to get to be CEO of that company a hell of a lot faster than you would have otherwise. And that's simply by getting the newsletter. Now, remember, if you're not living on the edge, you are just simply taking up too much space. It's easier and it's much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. It's better to aim for the stars and miss than it is to aim for the gutter and succeed. And if you're always trying to be normal, you'll just never know how amazing that you can really be. I hope you have a sensational week. And I hope you can join me again next Tuesday for my 299th show. That's a lot of shows. In the meanwhile, continue to be successful because the alternative really sucks. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.